I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. Welcome one another. This morning we'll study Paul's letter to the Romans together. Specifically, we'll look at uh, lessons from the 14th chapter. So I encourage you to have your Bible open uh, to Romans. We'll be looking there. So what's our lesson plan for today? We'll look at some historical background to the book and why Paul wrote this letter. And then a quick overview of the, the letter as a whole. But then we're going to zero in on Romans 14 itself. And then we want to you know, looking at those specific things for those folks at that time, we want to distill what are the principles that we learn from the message there, and then how do we apply those things to our situation today. So why did Paul even write this letter? You know, back in Acts chapter 2, we, we are familiar with the church beginning there, the, the first, Peter's first sermon being preached on Pentecost and around AD 33. The Jews came from everywhere across the, the empire there into Jerusalem. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 10 even specifically mentions that there were visitors from Rome among a list of many other places. So after the Feast of, of Pentecost, when we, again, we in that passage, we, we see a whole bunch of people were baptized and added to the church. Uh, these folks from other places went back home. So the people from Rome would have gone back to Rome. And these Roman Roman Jewish Christians would have presumably taken their faith back there and started a local church there in Rome. Now, as we read through Acts, you know, we have, of course, Paul being converted. And then we have in Acts chapter 10, we have the situation with Peter and his vision with the sheet and all of the animals and all this stuff leading up to and revealing to Peter that the gospel is for all the nations. And so the situation with Cornelius, the centurion, where uh, he was able to, they both had visions and they kind of met in the middle and were able to understand that uh, the gospel was for all, not just the Jews. And then over time, Paul and his growth and his ministry, he became focused on preaching the gospel predominantly to the Gentiles. And then Peter tended to focus more on teaching the Jews. So there in Rome, in around AD 49, the emperor Claudius Caesar kicked the Jews out of Rome. And this would have included Paul's friends, Priscilla and Aquila. We even see a mention of them in Acts 18 too, about that. But we have, uh, outside of the Bible, we have a historian named Suetonius who, who uh, talks about what happened here at this time. And he says that Claudius expelled from Rome the Jews who were constantly making disturbances at the instigation of, and he says, at the instigation of Crestus, which is kind of weird, but most understand that that's probably a reference to Christ. So in the early church, the, the Jews were all in a turmoil over, well, it's Jesus, the Messiah, you know, that's false, that's true. And so this chaos uh, seems to have led to, you know, Caesar saying, just get out of here. You, you Jews are fighting over this, you're causing a, a chaos. And get out of Rome. And so this, of course, uh, he didn't understand that 
uh, among Christians, there were those who weren't Jews as well. So uh, he didn't understand that or maybe even care, uh, but he was trying to get rid of the, what he saw as the trouble. Uh, so these Gentiles Christians would continue to stay in Rome, even though the Jews were expelled. And so while the Jewish Christians would have initially started the church there in Rome, these Gentile Christians were then left on their own for a few years, four or five years, something like that. But then that Caesar died, Claudius died, and so his edict for those Jews to be expelled was, was ex expired and rescinded. And so when Nero became the emperor in AD 54, which didn't necessarily signal good news if we look at the rest of history, but this, this caused the Jews to then come back at this time to Rome. So if you think about what, what would have happened here, you know, these Gentile Christians likely had grown in their faith in these five years and in their own local traditions while these Jewish Christians were absent. And these Jewish Christians coming back would perhaps would have expected everything to be the same. You know, they would have probably had previously been in a position of authority teaching these Jews and converting or teaching the Gentiles and converting them and being the leaders there. But that would have all shifted over this, this period of time. And so uh, this is not really a recipe for, for peace and tranquility, as you might imagine. It was kind of a mess. You know, who's in charge would be perhaps a question that's asked. And the Jews might, might ask questions like, you know, why are, why are you Gentiles not keeping the, the traditions anymore? And the Gentiles might say, well, you know, we don't, we don't need to keep the Sabbath. We have freedom in Christ. And they might even say something like, bacon is wonderful. That's what I'd say. Of course, the Jewish laws, you know, would pro prohibit bacon. So these, there was a conflict with regard to even things like food. So there's this powder keg going on in Rome. Uh, you know, Paul has these friends. We know for sure Priscilla and Aquila had, had left. And, and we see from the letter they had gone back because they're addressed at the end. They're uh, greeted there in this letter. So we could kind of guess that perhaps Priscilla and Aquila alerted Paul to what's going on, and then this, this letter might very well be a reaction to, to that report. So Paul's overall message to the Romans is about the unifying good news or gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the key verses at the very beginning of Romans in chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So this, this mention of the Jew and the Greek is not a, a throwaway part of this statement here. And this is pervades the letters. Throughout the letter, you'll see uh, this, these references. It's, it's, it's part of the main context and point of Paul's letter. So if we want to summarize Romans, it's 16 chapters kind of long, and it's pretty complicated, but trying to summarize Paul's message. The letter starts out talking about how all people are sinners, and by all, he's very specifically saying Jews and Gentiles. You're all sinners. We're all sinners. But on the other hand, God is righteous. And he is so righteous that he sent Jesus 
as an atonement for our sins, to die for us. And so Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith in Christ. Of course, you know, the discussion of what is faith is a, a whole lesson in and of itself. But part of the point of the book is to say, it's like Abraham's faith. So Abraham was counted as righteous before he was ever circumcised. And, and that's pointed out to make the point that, you know, it's not about these Jewish laws and all this stuff that, that uh, particularly the Jewish Christians were, were wrapped up in thinking about. It's about true faith, faithfulness. Christians must live faithfully. So the latter part of the book addresses this idea about how Christians must live faithfully in light of everything said before in the letter. So that begins in chapter 12. And of course, chapter 14 is part of this section. So let's read the beginning of Acts, uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. It's a familiar passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do we need to do the old Jewish sacrifices? No. Jesus paid that price. But we also are living sacrifices to honor and worship God in our, in our way of life. Can we do just whatever we want and live like the rest of the world? No. We are to be transformed. We need to obey the will of God. And Romans 14 builds on these practical ideas that are started here in chapter 12, looking at uh, living holy, transformed lives in how we treat one another. So in particular, cultural and opinion differences. So I invite you, if you haven't already, heard a lot of pages shifting. So if you haven't already, uh, go ahead and open your Bible to Romans chapter 14. Verse 1, and follow along, we'll kind of bounce through reading and commenting about these various passages and then look to apply them to us. Verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, or your version might say receive him. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You're not going to welcome him to a fight. That's not welcoming, right? Look at verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything. So think about what that might be talking about in our context. A Gentile Christian who doesn't have this tradition about the law of Moses and those dietary laws, you know, so, you know, prohibiting shellfish and pork and whatever, you know, they can eat anything. Gentiles are, are going to be practicing that, eat, eat whatever they want. But verse two, continuing, while, while the weak person eats only vegetables, and that's likely referring to a Jewish Christian who's concerned about all these uh, law of Moses rules that they've grown up with their whole life, and that's what they're used to, and they're having a hard time discerning, you know, how to, how to make sense of all that. Could also refer to a Christian who had been, a, who was a Gentile, maybe who had previously been involved in idol worship in the 
temples there, they would sacrifice an animal and they would eat the meat and that would be part of their worship. And so some of those Christians may be kind of wrapped up, worried about that. And there's a lot more to be said about that in 1 Corinthians 8. So we're not going to go there, but a lot of these things are wrapped up together. So just refer to that. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, thinking about the Jews and Gentiles in, in Rome, you know, whether you eat meat or not, don't despise or judge your fellow Christian. Being a Christian isn't about this side stuff, these opinions like this. Who's, whose servant are we? Well, of course, we're each God's servant. God is the one who judges us, and we don't need to worry about all this opinion stuff. We shouldn't micromanage everybody else's opinions about stuff like this. Verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another. So again, we're focusing that on our context, the, the Jewish person may be thinking about the weekly Sabbath or those annual Jewish feast days. They might esteem those and observe those. While another esteems all days alike, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. So all days alike, that'd probably be a, a Gentile Christian who just isn't doesn't have a tradition of observing all those days that the Jewish people did. There's this conflict over that. Verse 6. The one who observes the day, probably the Jew, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, the Gentile, probably referring to the Gentile, eating whatever they want. The one who eats, eats in honor of of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And we better be giving thanks to God without ceasing, pray without ceasing, give thanks to God for our food and, and all the blessings that we have. Continuing in verse 6, while the one who abstains, the Jew, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. He's being careful to what in his conscience he's trained to do about those things. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We need to be centered on honoring God. You know, ask ourselves the question, are we living for God? Let's not get distracted and divided by side issues and opinions. So today, you know, we don't think about Jew, Gentile. That's not our context. That's not our concern. That's, that's not going on here today. We're not really worried about Sabbath days, and we don't have people who have previously worshipped Zeus and are concerned about how meat might be handled with regard to that. But let's extract the principles here and apply them to our situation today. But first, let's just take a moment and... and Make a point of what this passage is not teaching. What does it not say? You know, the Bible says whatever is sinful, 
but I'm the weaker brother, so you need to tolerate my sin. You can't judge me. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about sin. These are just opinions and different preferences that we're talking about in this case. Uh, so we're not talking about sin. We're talking about don't be divisive in matters of opinion. So in matters of opinion, if we kind of outline this out, we have these bookends where Paul introduces this with welcome the weak, and he ends it with welcome one another. Okay, so as we welcome one another, don't judge each other about this silly stuff. Don't make your brother stumble. And we need to be promoting peace and mutual upbuilding or edification. Verse 1 says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions or doubtful things, some translation says. That's the context of what we're talking about. So how do we apply that today? Here in Ashland, Ohio, 2021, we aren't struggling with those differences of Jews and Gentiles and Sabbath laws and feast days. We don't have new converts that are, you know, worried about food offered to idols. But that's just not our context. But what is our context? You know, even today about foods, generally nobody really cares if you're on a special diet. Uh, seems like everyone's on a special diet. In my family, we have everything from gluten-free to dairy-free, can't eat tomatoes or intermittent fasting. So I don't, I don't eat here, but I eat then. And it probably is a little confusing, but we're not going to get divided over that. But what about observing days? That might be something that relates more to, to our context. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us to celebrate Jesus' birth, but certainly we, we are told that he was born and it was a miracle. You know, what if someone wants to observe a day to honor Christ's birth personally? Think about the Passover and, and how that annual observance of the Passover in the Jewish calendar is, is, the, is the annual date that also corresponds to Jesus rising from the dead. You know, what if someone wants to emphasize that annual day to honor that and uh, to be thankful about Jesus rising from the dead and, and our own hope of our resurre resurrection? What if you like birthdays? What if somebody else doesn't like birthdays, you know? Uh, what if you like dressing up on and getting candy on October 31st, you know? Now, any of these things can, can branch out into weird places maybe we shouldn't go, and particularly Halloween can get involved in some kind of Satanism. Obviously, we're, we can't be for those sorts of things, but if we're just going to choose ourselves to honor one day above another, okay. If you aren't comfortable celebrating these holidays, then don't. If you like to celebrate these holidays, but you know it's a faith, a faith issue, for your brother or sister in Christ. Well, don't make a big show of your observance and, and get them riled up. Or maybe even consider not observing that thing if you know it's going to be a big issue for somebody. What's more important? Our brother or our whatever day? You know, certainly we can't impose observing these days on others. This was, we're talking about personal choices. One, one person observes a day, you know, 
as it says, 14.5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. These are individual decisions. Each one should be con fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So think about that, not necessarily on Sabbath days, but in the context we're talking about. We need to honor God. We need to respect our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who may hold some different opinions, have some different practices on these things that are just opinions. So now we're really going to get in trouble. Talk about politics. Politics are complicated, and sometimes maybe we oversimplify. Maybe we sometimes will boil it down to one issue. There's one issue that's really what we're all concerned about. Abortion's a big one, right? Or poverty issues, or race, or immigration, or the character of the candidate, the candidates being considered. These are important issues. We should, you know, we're free to take a stand on these things, particularly moral issues. We should take, you know, consider God's word in light of all these things. But can we assume that our one issue is everyone's one issue? The fact of the matter is that there are a myriad of issues that make up politics. There's a lot to consider. Honest Christians may come to different conclusions on how to vote or whether to vote, given all these many issues. You can't, you can't tell your brother or sister what their vote for a candidate means. You voted for so-and-so. That means you believe this. Come on. There are 14,000 issues at play. There's a lot to consider, a lot to weigh. It's not fair. And it's not honest to say those kinds of things. It violates the teachings of the principles here and what, what Paul wrote to the Romans. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Let's all agree to follow the word of God. We can differ on which imperfect candidate we may vote for or whether we vote at all. You know, Jesus and the apostles didn't vote, they couldn't vote. That wasn't a thing. So we're not really following their example on this either way. But let's not impute evil motives on our brothers and sisters. Love hopes all things. So is there anything controversial about COVID-19? Personally, I haven't seen anything more divisive in my lifetime that comes to mind anyway than the issues surrounding COVID-19 within our broader culture. Every day in many aspects of our life, we, we see these things. It's a, it's a big deal. You know, we have, people have been sick. We have some on our list when we read our sick list here later that we know that are sick with COVID-19 right now. Some have died. People have been scared about it. Jobs and incomes have been threatened, impacted, or even lost in some cases. And all the, the weird things we've had to do, there's sort of a mental health impact on this. Verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace 
and for mutual upbuilding. Are we thinking about that principle and what we do? You know, not everyone agrees about the risks of COVID, but, but how do we pursue peace and mutual upbuilding? Hopefully we're, we're trying to accommodate everyone, keep everyone as safe as possible and comfortable. You can't please everybody, so it's not really gonna be perfect, but are we, are we all trying to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding? Chapter 15, verse one, this uh, Romans 14 kind of spills into chapter 15 a little bit. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. You know, so with regard to this issue, who are the weak and who are the strong? I don't know, wisdom of Solomon, I don't have that. I don't have the wisdom of Paul. You know, different people are gonna have different opinions on that. But regardless, the principle is we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all have preferences, but our motivation should be not to please ourselves, but to help others, to love others, to honor God, to be patient. How do we grow the Lord's church should be the question we're asking that motivates our actions and decisions. How do we strengthen the body of Christ? Certainly not by tearing each other apart over things like food and holidays, and masks and politics. We need to be united in Christ and love one another. So as we transition to an invitation, you know, this is really a, a, a lesson about uh, how in the church as Christians, how we should get along and, and honor one another and honor God in that. But here in this chapter, I think we have some things we can think about uh, if, you're, if you're not a Christian. Verses eight through nine here in chapter 14. Let's read those. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So, so we who, here who are Christians, we live and die to the Lord. We are the Lord's. He is our Lord, whether we are living as we are here today or whether we are dead, as we all will be someday unless he returns in the meantime. He has promised to raise us from the dead when he returns. But how about you? Do you have hope? Or are you just dead in your sins? That's no good. Earlier in our book here to the Romans, Paul says uh, in chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, do you not know that all of us, writing to the church, right? All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the question for you is, you know, have you been baptized into his death? Are you walking in a new life today? 
Do you have the hope of the resurrection of life? Or are you planning on the lake of fire? Because quite honestly, there's two choices. We want the best for everyone. We love everyone. We love you. If you're choosing the lake of fire, I would suggest to you that's a bad idea. Let us help you become a Christian and get on the right path toward God. Join this sometimes dysfunctional family that we call the church. People who truly love each other and, and love the Lord. We encourage you to, to do that. We can help you study more with you or whatever. If anyone has any need, uh, we would put out the invitation. We can pray for you or help you to be buried with him in baptism. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.